Good morning, 1548 Heights, members and guests online and in person, grace and peace to you in abundance. It's good to see you all today. I hope everyone can stay for a fellowship meal after the worship service downstairs in our fellowship hall. Even if you didn't bring food, it's okay. We will have enough because Randy and Alan and Richard have already said they will not eat unless they're sure there's enough food, <laughs> or at least I'm hoping they're saying that. No, we're going to have brisket, brisket. Oh, it's just going to be fantastic, and please stay for that. Our mission is to be a transforming church, changing lives for God and for good in the world as God transforms us into the image of Jesus. Spiritual transformation is a process of being formed into the image of Christ over time in community in the context of practices and disciplines and habits that allow God to form us into His Son's image for God's glory, for the abundance of our own lives, and for the sake of the world. And part of our formation in Christ is learning and striving to be attentive to God through His Holy Spirit who speaks to us and guides us. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Before we get into the message, I want to welcome our two newest covenant members to 1548 Heights. Covenant membership is what we call that step when you uh, have been worshiping as a guest for a while and you think, I'd like to make this my church home and worship and serve and give here. We will have another uh, covenant membership. Welcome to 1548 Heights luncheon on October 1st. And I hope you will be invited if you're not yet a comfort uh, a covenant member. But this is Sam and Elise Linder. Sam and Elise uh, are fairly newly married, two years maybe, a year and a half, and are young professionals who live in the Heights area here. They have been a, a big part of the young professional small group. Can I just ask them to raise their hand? Yeah, it's great to have them here. And when you, when you enter into covenant membership, you kind of indicate ways in which you'd be willing to serve, and so... I'm pleased they've done that, and as, as to what Eric said as well, some ways to sign up for that. Well, this is the, the last of a collection of sort of breadcrumb messages I've been preaching in August. What I describe is just uh, topics that I set aside to preach at some point because I wanted to get to them. They're not necessarily related to one another, but I think each is valuable in its own way. And today we're going to talk about... Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. If you have a Bible or there might be one in the pew in front of you or on your phone, I encourage you to take that out now, Acts chapter 8. And before we get into that, I want to just, as I always do, give credit to two of the people whose uh, opinions and interpretation and comments I really appreciated and drew on for this, Willie James Jennings his theological commentary on Acts, and William Willimon, also his commentary on Acts. Let me start by setting the table of what we're going to encounter in Acts chapter 8. Uh, in Acts chapter 8, we see that Stephen, one of the deacons, one of the early Christians, has just been martyred. And Luke tells us a great persecution breaks out. And the early believers, other than the apostles, are scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Isn't it interesting that Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you 
and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And now they're being scattered to Judea and Samaria. And so after they're scattered, let's go to the next slide. Philip goes to Samaria. Philip, one of the people we're going to talk about that, goes to Samaria, just north of Judea, and the Holy Spirit anoints him to do amazing things, powerful signs and wonders. He has an encounter with a man called Simon the Sorcerer, who comes to faith in Jesus and has to be taught a little bit about what that means. And then Luke sums it up by saying, Samaria accepts the word of God. I mean, that's just amazing. And so when the church is scattered, the seeds of faith begin to be sown. And that's what, where, we, where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through 40. So let's read this together. Listen to the word of God. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you are reading? He replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, About whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak. And starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he was Passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Thanks be to God for his word and for his living word, Jesus Christ. This is a very well-known story in the Bible. No less an artist than Rembrandt depicted it. Let's see that slide here. The baptism of the eunuch in about 1626 A.D. Because it's got characteristics that just sort of grip us. And I want to start today by kind of going over who are the four main characters in this story and helping us kind of understand how it all fits together. The first character is the Holy Spirit. The first character is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit initiates everything. An angel, which is just as kind of the same as the Holy Spirit, commands Philip to go south to the road the one from Jerusalem to Gaza. The, the Holy Spirit tells Philip, go to that chariot and join it. 
That word for join is a strong word. Uh, it's, it's the word Ruth uses when, when uh, she says to Naomi, her mother-in-law, or when we're told that she clings to Naomi. It's the same word that is used to talk about being united with Christ. And so the, the Holy Spirit says to Philip, go to that chariot and give it your full attention. Join it. Uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit is the one who snatches Philip away. Uh, the word here is used to describe in the parable of the sower how the birds come and they snatch away the seed before it can take root. It's the word Paul uses when he describes how he was caught up to the third heaven. He was snatched up to the third heaven. Uh, I, I came across this cartoon. I thought it was kind of funny. <laughs> Here's the eunuch, and Philip has just baptized him, and, and Philip just goes, boing, out of the water, you know, because the Holy Spirit has snatched him up, and the little fishies are jumping around, and the horses are scared. And uh, obviously, I was more taken with that than you are. But, uh, <laughs> friends, the Holy Spirit is the initiating, propelling, and compelling character in this story. And then we have Philip. Now, Philip is not to be confused with one of the 12 uh, disciples of Jesus. This is a different Philip. This is one we first read about in Acts chapter 6 when he's chosen to be one of the first deacons. Well, in Acts chapter 8, just after Stephen's martyrdom, Philip goes to Samaria and almost has like a one-man mission to this entire region and it's incredible what happens. Let's read Acts 8, verse 6 through 8. The crowds with one accord listened eagerly to what was said by Philip, hearing and seeing the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying with loud shrieks came out of many who were possessed, and many others who were paralyzed or lame were cured. So there was great joy in that city. And so... The Holy Spirit works through Philip in powerful ways in Samaria. We're told in Acts chapter 21 that Philip is, Philip is described as the evangelist. And we're told that he has four daughters who prophesied. I have two daughters that didn't prophesy and they were still a handful. I can't imagine what that was like for Philip. But that's the last we hear of him. That's the last we hear of him there in Acts chapter 21. And so we have the Holy Spirit, we have Philip. Third, we have the Ethiopian eunuch. We have the Ethiopian eunuch. He's a person of great intrigue. He's an exotic figure. It's important to know, though, that he is not a deprived or uh, despised person. William Williman in his commentary says this, read it with me. We are reading a story about an important man, a foreigner, though possibly a Jew, a pow powerful person who has much authority as the queen's minister except the power to understand the word of God. In the Greco-Roman world, the word Ethiopian was often simply applied to black people. They were, they were referred to as Ethiopian. It doesn't mean he was from the country we now uh, know as Ethiopia, which was a, is a sub-Saharan country. It would be a long way from Jerusalem in a chariot. But he is from a far-off place. Homer 
in his great work, The Odyssey, which I have read recently, not true. (laughs) The Odyssey speaks of far-off Ethiopians, the furthermost of men. And so Willimon says, in other words, here is a person from an exotic land, the edge of the world, Timbuktu, someone whose dark skin made him an object of wonder and admiration among Jews and Romans. Now, Luke tells us specifically he's a eunuch. What difference does that make? Well, males could be castrated and turned into eunuchs for court service with the king or queen. Uh, It was thought to make them less likely to maybe rebel or work with any uh, rivals to uh, form a coup. Uh, They did not have any family loyalties. They didn't have a spouse, didn't have in-laws. They hadn't been in the military, weren't part of the aristocracy, so they, they didn't really have an agenda. And so it was not uncommon for eunuchs to be in the court of the king or the queen. I'm told by Willimon that they also had a lower social status. Even though they could have a lot of power as, for instance, the minister of the treasury of the queen or king, they had a lower social status so that they were kind of expendable. If you didn't, if you didn't like them anymore or they suspected them, you could just rub them out and there wouldn't be much, much public backlash. And so it is significant that Luke tells us that this was a eunuch. And then what is the fourth character? Anyone? Anyone? Brisket, no, the eunuch road, the the wilderness road, (laughs) the wilderness road. Isn't it interesting, Luke says in verse 26, this is a wilderness road, the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. Here you see a a map of that. I mean, it's just, Gaza is is right near the the Mediterranean Sea, and Jerusalem is kind of in the heart of things, and you have this road going there. It is a road, but Luke says, This is a wilderness road. Here's another picture. It was about 60 miles from Jerusalem to Gaza. And Luke says, this is a wilderness road. Jennings says, his destination is a desert road, that place that is no place. It is the in-between space that constitutes diaspora or dispersion. God will not leave this traveler alone. Roads are about survival, moving from one place to the next and searching for life possibilities. This is a God who wills to be found on the road in order to transform it, collapsing near and far, domestic and foreign, onto the body of the Son. Listen, Jennings says, the Spirit is Lord of the road. And so the road, the wilderness road, this fourth character is both literal, it is a road, and figurative. It is far away from civilization, far away from preset expectations, far away from the usual customs and boundaries. It is a space of spiritual possibility because it's so isolated. Now, 
The story is held together by four questions. I put them there on your outline so we don't have to fill in anything. The first one is, do you understand what you are reading? This is Philip's question. It's the only one of the four Philip, Philip asks. Do you understand what you're reading? The initiating Holy Spirit has propelled Philip to initiate a conversation. And what do you think the odds are that the eunuch is reading Isaiah 53? Perhaps the foremost scripture that foretells about Jesus, the suffering servant. It is the suffering servant passage. See, the initiating spirit has, has sort of arranged this. I mean, can you imagine if the eunuch was reading uh, Leviticus 4, you know, about how to make a proper sacrificial offering at the temple? I mean, the eunuch would have fallen asleep in the chariot and fallen out and, we, you know, maybe died. We wouldn't have had a story. Are you all with me at all today? I'm going to tell you. <laughs> and so, so the first question, do you understand what you're reading? And the, and the eunuch says, how can I unless someone guides me? Unless someone guides me. The word here, odegeo, is very strong. It's the word Jesus uses in, in, in John 16, 33, when he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Jennings says, God will not leave this traveler alone with the text. The eunuch says, in effect, I need a guide. I need a guide. And then the third question. About whom does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Jennings says, everything pivots on this third question. The third question turns the closed circle of the two questions into a spiral that leads to the threshold of the new order. About whom does this person speak, himself or someone else? And so now we have an opportunity for Philip to talk about Jesus. Here's my view. You don't have to agree with it. Until we mention Jesus, it's, it's hard for it to be a distinctly Christian conversation. It may be a very good spiritual conversation, and those can be very helpful and all that. But until we mention Jesus, it's hard for it to be a distinctly Christian conversation. And so in this question and answer, now... After the second question, or the third question, Philip has an opportunity to teach him about Jesus. About a year ago, I was uh, at a fundraiser breakfast, and uh, they had a former professional athlete who's very highly regarded in Houston, and he was sort of giving his testimony. It was about a, a life of uh, uh, alcohol and drugs and unbeknownst to most people, because he performed at a very, very high level as an athlete, and he was talking about how grateful to God he was that he was now sober, and what that had meant to him to be able to receive his family's forgiveness, and so on and so forth. And there was just this buzz afterwards. People were just so happy and excited, you know, you know Wow, we didn't even know he was a Christian. Wow, isn't this great, old man? Praise God. 
And I, and I said to one of my friends who didn't seem to like this, I said, you know, he never mentioned Jesus. He, he thanked God a lot, but that's AA talk, you know, that's high pa- higher power. Uh, if, if he's a Christian, he might, he, don't you think he would have said something about Jesus Christ? But everyone was so taken with, you know, you know a professional athlete, a hero, uh, found religion or something. And so without this third question, it could not have been a, a distinctly Christ-focused conversation. And so we're told that Philip, starting with this scripture, Isaiah 53, takes the Ethiopian eunuch, through the scriptures and tells him about how Jesus fulfilled this suffering servant passage and died for our sins and was raised again in victory over sin, death, and the devil and reigns and sends his people into the world to spread the good news. See, he tells the eunuch all this. And then the fourth question. Look, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? (laughs) How many of you grew up in the Church of Christ? We love this scripture. See? He knows about baptism. The word for hinders here, again, is a strong one. In Matthew 19, Jesus says, Do not hinder the little children from coming to me. The the, the eunuch says, What hinders me? You've just told me about Jesus' death and resurrection and how I can participate in that through, through the death of my old self and the raising in newness of life in the water, burial, and, and, and What's to prevent me? Now, if you're looking at your actual paper Bible now, which I realize is really old-fashioned and all that, and maybe you have a, one on your phone, but there should be a little footnote there about verse 37 because verse 37 wasn't in the earliest manuscripts and was added later. And verse 37 says, Philip tells the eunuch, what is to hinder you? If you believe with all your heart, you may. And the eunuch replies, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Apparently, uh, early, uh, early Christian teachers looked at this and saw, wait a minute. He, he says, what hinders you from being baptized? And the next thing you know, he's baptized. What about a sort of qualifying question here? What a, and, and the fact is, there's, there are baptismal liturgies that sort of uh, help help this be part of a baptismal ritual that, you know, you ask a question. Uh, I formed a couple of them in the course of my preaching ministry. I asked, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died to save you from your sins? Yes. Are you ready now to walk with him as your Lord and Savior? Yes. I baptize you in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Can you tell I've done it a little while? And so there's no, there's no liturgy here, and so apparently early Christian teachers sort of put this in the manuscript to be a little more uh, uh, pedagogical, a little more teaching for someone who is reading. And wouldn't you know that in the early church, a baptismal liturgy developed in which one of the questions was, what hinders this person from being baptized? What hinders this person from being baptized? Almost like that wedding question. Is there anyone here who objects? I never ask that question, by the way. What, what if someone says, yeah, I object? <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> uh, 
Well, do you, do you notice what Philip doesn't say when he says, what hinders me from being baptized? Philip doesn't say, well, we need to first figure out your sexuality. Philip doesn't say, well, is there a local church in Ethiopia that you can connect to? Philip doesn't say, uh, do you have a discipleship plan? Do you have access to a Lifeway Christian bookstore? I mean, all these things Philip doesn't ask because we tend to want to manage and control the Holy Spirit. Jennings says, faith will always find the water. The eunuch wants God as much as God wants him. They will wait no longer for each other. Well, I posited that there's a fifth question that's not really asked in this story, but it's one that we might all have, and that is, whatever happens to the Ethiopian eunuch? We never hear about him anymore in the Bible. You have paintings by Rembrandt. There's all kinds of suppositions. But we, the only mention we have of him is the, uh, the early 3rd and 4th century Christian historian Eusebius who says he became an evangelist and a missionary. Jennings says, Philip, while interpreting the text to the eunuch, is also performing another text. Isaiah 56, 3 through 5. Read it with me. And do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the eunuch is welcomed into the family of God. And Psalm 68, 31 finds its fulfillment. Let bronze be brought from Egypt. Let Ethiopia hasten to stretch out its hands to God. (laughs) And so here's how I would summarize this, friends. An initiating spirit, and the spirit is the initiator in this passage. The spirit who compels us, the spirit who propels us, the spirit who speaks to us, uh, the initiating spirit is always involved in the life of a Christian, whether we hear the spirit or not. And so you have the initiating spirit, and when you have an attentive disciple, an attentive, someone who can hear, Philip is told, go down to that deserted road in the wilderness And Philip goes because he can hear. Can you you imagine if, uh, I'm being a little silly here, Philip was on his cell phone and didn't hear. You know, got his face in his phone. And so you have the initiating spirit. An attentive disciple equals an unhindered gospel. An unhindered gospel. Not us controlling and managing. Us just saying, Lord, Who do you want to draw near to you? How can I be your instrument? Quick story, when Angela and I were in L.A., one of my elders, our elders at this church, was a Chinese-American, and he had had a vision. Give him great credit. He had this vision. There there was this kind of mediocre university nearby, UCLA, 
and uh, <laughs> Adam and Minky Sheets went there. They kind of they raised the bar a little bit, but uh, at any rate, they, they, a lot of lot of Chinese graduate students. And our elder knew a man or heard about a man, a Christian man, a missionary who could speak both Cantonese and Mandarin, the two main dialects of Chinese. And we ended up recruiting him and supporting him. And all he did was, you know, go over to the graduate housing where the graduate students are. And most of the graduate students weren't interested. But their parents who came over from China for six months to watch the kids, they were. And so Shafan would talk to the parents and set up Bible studies. And pretty soon we were baptizing Chinese parents who were due to go back in six months when their visa ran out. And the question became, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Is there a local church in China? What are we do we have any discipleship materials? What if this? What if that? And you know what? Finally, we just had to say, well, the Holy Spirit is kind of in charge of this. Can you imagine that? And so an initiating spirit and an attentive disciple leads to an unhindered gospel. The angel says to Mary in Luke 1, for nothing will be impossible for God. And Paul says in Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Greek and all the way to the eunuch, what could happen when we really listen for the Holy Spirit and stop trying to manage and control what God does in our lives? Real quickly, I said that five minutes ago, but real quickly again, <laughs> my, my youngest daughter told me, the preacher she was listening to in Spain, at the 30-minute mark, he would say, para terminar, and then he'd go another 30 minutes. I mean, that's, that's tough. But there was an article in the Wall Street Journal this week that most Protestant churches in America, which we would fall under, are filled with white-collar workers, mostly married, mostly families. And this is the trend line. Where are the plumbers? Where are the mechanics? Where, where are the yard workers? Uh, uh, and we just keep getting tighter and tighter. And the eunuch wouldn't have any place in these churches. And you see, when we, when we just decide we're going to control and manage the Holy Spirit, it, it's very convenient for us, but wow. We miss out on a lot of God's work. Pater Terminar. Friends, the church can be a pond or it can be a river. <laughs> you can be a pond or river. I can be a pond or river. Ponds are still. They st they're steady. Uh, they get some scum on top, but we can live with that. They don't really go anywhere. Rivers are burbling. They're fast. They're, they're flowing. They're, they're changing landscapes because they're, they're unmanaged. And I want to say, friends, let's be, let's be rivers of the Holy Spirit. Let's be rivers of the Holy Spirit and see what God does in our lives and in the life of our church. Let's pray.
Thank you, Lord, so much for giving us stories like this that just show what can happen when, when we're attentive to your Holy Spirit because you love all people and want them to know you and come to faith and be part of your family. And so, Lord, uh, we pray for our attentiveness that we will be willing to, as Philip did, just go. Just go and start a conversation and, and just be amazed and full of wonder at how you can do your redemptive work through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In his name we pray, amen.